welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us this week is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. Yes, it's a yes. Confirmed. Brett. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. At this time, I can neither confirm nor deny. A very evasive, evasive answer from Mr. Brewer there. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Crash Community Church, Lee Younger. I just don't know what I'm walking into. That's true. I mean, are the guys here? Are the guys not here? It's a little nebulous. You're, you you guys are asking me what I do if I was a podcast host, but I can't answer that question yet until we're in the middle a of the of podcast. Waffling, <laughs> a lot of obfuscation. <laughs> You're just going to have to go ahead and give me the job as one of the nine podcast hosts, and then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> Yes, a, a very veiled reference to current events, but we don't have time for veiled references. We have to get into what I fear is a very unveiled emergency. What? Oh, what? Holy cow. Yes, we have, in some ways, a very bona fide emergency, but then yeah. an emergency of some opportunity that we can, I think we can get in on a racket here. And Ooh, I know I like a racket. that we all love a racket. The Racketeer yeah. was a very unpopular Disney movie <laughs> in the early 90s about a guy with a rocket who went around swindling people. <laughs> That's one of the, the Rocketeer, uh, people of a certain age, it's one of those movies like, I remember it exists, but if, also if you told me they made it up, I wouldn't be able to refute you. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, but so we had a bit of an event with a, a gentleman from uh, the Bethel Music Collective named Sean. My best guess here is Fucht, which I will be pronouncing very carefully. F-E-U-C-H-T. Be easy with that. Yeah, we're going to say that slowly, man. carefully, and maybe not use his name for the rest of the recording. Just this is a family show, Matt. Just trying to keep that uh, explicit language tag off the off the show here. But so our, our man Sean has decided that what he needs to do, what the world needs in this dark time, when we mm. could use some some healing, some unity, some joy. Is yeah. for him to tour around and get uh, thousands of gullible, mostly white Christians to sing in each other's mouths with no mask on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, okay. And you say, if you know the story, you say, well, it started out with him going to the places where the police had murdered people and holding worship concerts in right. Minneapolis, in Seattle, in Chicago, these kind of things. So, this is the second most awful thing this dude has done since the pandemic started. And that's really wow. saying something. Mm, dang. Now, but you but you might say, but he's doing it to, to reach people, to get the name out there, to, to, yeah. to, to influence the wider culture in a Christian way. And to that, I, I Googled uh, this gentleman and I have in front of me the Google news, you know, you get kind of the headlines or something. If it's, if it pops yeah. up with the images, videos, whatever. So here are the uh, the top uh, headlines that pop up when you Google this this man who uh, thinks himself a messenger of a of a healing and saving gospel mm. from NBC News. Authorities investigating large religious event in Nashville with maskless crowds. Mm. From the Tennessean, Sean Fuked in Nashville. Health department investigating after worship protest draws thousands. Worship protest in quotes from our good friends, the Tennessean uh, from the daily beast. Nashville spooked about coronavirus after Sean Fuke brings pandemic preacher tour to Tennessee. <laughs> and finally from our friends, the Rolling Stone, 
So what does it take for a Christian musician to get reviewed in Rolling Stone? This. And the headline, <laughs> which is just the be- somebody had the best day, because the headline is Jesus Christ Super Spreader. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. my goodness. Wow. He went after it. Here's what I'm saying. These, uh, you said these were worship protests. That that's the the branding, such as word. I don't think people should be protesting against worship. That's like <laughs> that'd be bad. I think I think it should be. I, I like worship. That's like when you're going through a construction zone on the road, and there's always that sign that says "end road work," and you're like, I think they should. I don't. That's a terrible thing to protest. We need road work. Absolutely, right? regularly. So, Matt, if if the whole reason, like you guys are doing, uh, the bridge as a as a broadcast video every week. And my understanding is that the reason that you guys are doing that, the reason we're doing our church, uh, you know, online or like a very carefully spread out outdoor thing or whatever is, uh, it's, it's out of kind of courtesy and, uh, care for the most vulnerable, that kind of thing. Basically it's, it's just different ways of saying love. But uh, uh, this whole thing is we're having to protest because they won't let us worship. Apparently, that is uh. the 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 idea. Now that would be confusing because in Tennessee, there's no statute that says huh. churches can't meet together. In in fact, in Tennessee, there's a carve out specifically for churches mm. that as many people can meet inside. As desire, it's also probably a coincidence that Tennessee is one of the 10 states with the highest COVID infection rate. Interesting. Currently. But this is a bit like uh, showing up outside the McDonald's and protesting that no one will sell you a hamburger. Like, this is just not a thing that's happening. <laughs> I'm being persecuted. Well, you know, I don't know if you guys had this, but I had sort of a standing arrangement with, with a buddy of mine because I. I'm a diminutive person. I'm not a, a big, tall guy. When I was in high school, you know, the, the big kids, you know, thought they could pick on me. So I always told my buddy, if if somebody says something, you know, provocative, grab me and hold me back. And I'm going to pretend like you're holding me and I'll start barking like a dog and acting crazy. And then they'll just walk away being dismayed. You sure. Know? It's not worth it. But. The the key part to the to making that work was someone holding me back. Right. Right. If no one's actually there to pretend hold me back, then it's just I'm getting my face punched. <laughs> <laughs> While barking, which is just not a good look. That's just a story that came to my mind all of a sudden. I, I can't imagine why. I think it's a very fair uh, comparison, but here's, here's the thing. And here's cause we, we don't just want to bring negativity. We don't just want to rag Well, we do, but we fear that the show would become all that if we let ourselves pull the brakes <laughs> off on that. Um, but here's the thing with, with this dude, clearly, you know, he's with Bethlehem and all that. He just wants to be on stage and have people, you know, tell him how, how adorable he is singing the songs. And so he found an opportunity to endanger people while, uh, kind of app- appropriating the language of Black Lives Matter protests to do that, which is, whoo, that's 
that's impressive in a dark way that's to get lot. the outcome he wants. But I wonder, can we do the same thing? Because he said, I want to do, I want to do concerts. I we're in an environment where you shouldn't do a concert, but can I flip that so that concerts are the best thing you can do and convince people? Okay. So, and he uses a little Christian language to do that. For example, I would like people to just hand me cash. Right. I think that's a good thing. Right. There's sure. no reason they sure. would do that. I didn't earn that. They might need that money, but maybe I can get a movement going. Cause he's all got to have movement about how the thing to free you from the bonds of materialism that the world's trying to put on you is just go ahead and give me 20 bucks. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that show materialism? Well, in the, you, you don't want to be carrying around all that filthy lucre anyway. That's right. If anything, yeah. in our current uh, time of COVID, it might be unsafe. Why don't you just go ahead and give that to me? I'll take care of it. Teach the devil a lesson. Hand me that's that right. 20. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, I think you're, 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 it's, it's good that we can look at this positively, because I think there's another angle to this, which is if you get people to, to come out and listen to you sing um, sort of that, like if you picture, if you've ever been on a cruise, the kind of band that they would get for that, that's the kind of music we're rocking here. So if you take sort of a bad, uh, you know, cruise band uh, kind of sound, and then you're cranking that out, and people start singing it, you breathe a virus on them, they die, boom, straight up to heaven. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, you're just, you're kind of... Um... As we might say, if we're going to put this mark in knees, you're just accelerating the glorification process. Yeah, I mean, you know, populate you get, heaven. If you give them time, they're bound to backslide. We don't, we don't allow for that. We just, as they say in the business world, that's just a value add. That's, that's right. That we is. we just virus you up and send you straight to heaven. You're welcome. <laughs> that is the that is in the running for worst church sign of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I also like the idea, and I wonder if there might be some mileage on this, because the phrase worship protest, which is uh, a real linguistic trick in that it's both a total non sequitur and also deeply offensive and horrifying. And as we've often pointed out on the show, if you say something that offends the four of us, wow, you've really taken a leap. Yeah. Dang, you, you've gone all the way, man. But, uh, so obviously it doesn't work in this context, but I think the reason they use that is because they just assume... That if you're the kind of person who doesn't think about it too hard, that's a bulletproof phrase just for Christian stuff. It's a worship protest. People be like, that sounds awesome. But where <laughs> else can we use this in the world? Like if when, you know, the, the pandemic lifts and we're back live and about the, about the third go of the bridge, can I just get up and walk out? When someone's like, hey, that's really rude. And they'll be like, oh, no, it's a worship protest. <laughs> I'm well, constitutionally yeah. opposed to more than three choruses. Well, I think I I think you could take that even further into the realm of just living your life as if everything that you want to indulge yourself with is something that someone is vehemently trying to stop you from doing. Yeah. Ah. So like I ate this whole sleeve of Oreos. It was an Oreo protest. You can't stop me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the idea of uh, using the phrase worship protest, like like Matt's talking about, but just in kind of a normal church situation. 
the the pastor talks a little bit too long, uses a stupid illustration, and you mm-hmm. just stand up and declare worship protest. Yes, right. and then just head out. Now yeah. this is something that you know. I think a lot of our friends with church could use an actual worship protest with the worship leader, like just kind of a a civil unrest of like we all know this sermon's not over, but the part where anyone's getting anything out of it is over. So the <laughs> band just kind of storms the stage. Yes. Kind of a worship yes. sit-in situation. Yes. It starts with a it starts with a, a little background guitar, a little background piano. The drummer starts dropping a beat, and eventually the singer's just like, hmm, thank yeah. you, Pastor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sound guy just kind of rolls down that lav mic to mute and That's right. I think in that case we're talking about a worship coup. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about what should have happened at a certain televised event a few weeks ago. I have no idea what you might mean. I think part of what we're learning here is very important, and it speaks to, because one of the key things in, in the world and learning how to operate, it's probably in the ministry we do in Chicago and a lot of what Lee does down there in Tennessee, is you got to know who to get on the right side of. Yeah. That could be church ladies, that could be, and here's yeah. where I think we're learning is, the revolution's going to run through the sound guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing, fellas. As as a white Christian male, I I never thought this would be a provocative or um, you know a disturbing kind of out there edgy thing to say. But I'm actually anti-virus. Oh. Wow! Like like I don't like that it's happening. Wow! Sounds so, like somebody doesn't like contagious Christianity, Glenn. <laughs> well, that's, believe me. If, I didn't read that was, book, but I saw the cover, and I think I got the gist. If, if, if you're making them contagious, but it's not with Christianity, so. <laughs> well, okay, I, I don't know if you guys have had experience this or not, but ever since um, we've, you know, ever since we first entered quarantine, and then you kind of. There's kind of a shock at the beginning of it. You kind of get used to it. You start living in that thing, and you you haven't seen anybody in a in a long time. Definitely not in the same kind of, especially in the kind of work that we do. Uh, folks that have never been to the bridge, for instance, or done prison ministry, it's it's mushy. There's a lot of hugging. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of just physical affection and closeness and stuff like that. After we had quite a bit of quarantine, I remember uh, watching you know a, a show that happened you know, like watching reruns of an old show and people would, you know, walk into a room and they would hug one another or like, you know, stuff that takes place in Europe. People are kissing each other in the cheek and stuff like that. And having like a, a having like a physical reaction to that, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Don't, 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 touch oh, no. you, don't, you know, don't touch each other. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if you guys experienced that, but when I saw the picture of the uh, so-called worship protest, the first reaction I had was, oh God, what is this? <laughs> you know, and then I saw the the words that said that this was this was Christians, and uh, the first thing I did was was text our pal Eric Peters who lives in Nashville, and we had a very uh, no one should ever read the text exchange that we had after this kind of deal, but it was like a it was just like a, a just a guttural reaction of how is this possible, and then oh no, it was us. <laughs> and how do you pronounce this guy's name again? <laughs> Fetched, I believe. Okay. If he was smart, he'd pronounce it Fetched. And then instead of being the super spreader as his branding, 
he could have called every album making fetched happen. <laughs> and I think I dug us out of that by ending on a me and girls joke. So on that, we're going to declare at least one of the emergencies around here off. Some of them are still very much on, so wear your mask. Oh, my sweet Lord. Dang, dude. If if we could, if we had the power to declare that emergency off, we would. But, you know, for the time being, we just got to do what we can do. And part of what we can do is, as was previously mentioned, put on our weekly live bridgecast every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. You can join us for a full bridge service. We've got worship. We've got preaching. We've got some awesome prayers and other segments. And if you can't catch it live wherever you are in the world, every single one of those is archived at the videos tab over at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We of course also are continuing to put out bridge box every single month here for the rest of this month. We are talking about taking things one day at a time, which is uh, always, always uh, applicable, but very, very much now. So Sermons from Glenn and myself, songs from some very talented friends, Bible studies, and a whole lot more over at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We're going to move to our first question here. We handle this all the way to the end. I give you some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, how do I deal with discouragement? Sometimes I feel so tired and I get discouraged. I'm not trying to give up, but I just feel tired. And we start off, as we often try to do, with some relatability, because I think we can all dig into that. And Lee, where would we start off? I I love this question. I'm super thankful that you wrote it in. And uh, it sounds exactly like something I was saying to my wife yesterday. Um, And, you know, there's there's certain things that we uh, have said on this show a a lot of times in, in different kind of scenarios. If you've been listening for a while, you will have heard us say this at some point, which is that thing you just said to us, say it to somebody else out loud. Um, and the reason I said that is you simply writing this question in and me reading it, it helped me. It like actually helped me where I am. The reason it helped me is because I'm feeling tired too. And it's, it, it helps me every single time I find out I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, it, it is a, it gasses me up to find out, oh, I'm I'm not a freak for being tired right now. I'm not I'm not uh, some kind of loner or freak for being over this, for for really struggling uh, from time to time. I mean, literally, I, I read your question and I thought, oh, good, um, somebody else. Um, and the thing on that is that so many people are feeling the exact same way you are feeling right now. And if you take the courageous step to say that out loud to somebody, I think that what you're going to find is you're going to find a reaction like you're hearing from me, which is you're helping me by exposing that vulnerability, by, by saying that you're, that you're struggling and that you're tired. Um, and, and I would say the next step on that would just be to start talking about, uh, you know, to continue that conversation with things like the things that help and the things that don't. Um, just to have some kind of practical conversations of like, man, I've done these things and from time to time that helps, or I've tried these things and that did not help me at all. What about you? And to get those kinds of conversations going, I think would be really cool. The reason I, I stress that kind of stuff is I think when we have a, a question like the one you have, 
we'd like to write into somebody who would say, let me give you the magical easy button that is going to fix this. And the problem with that as human beings is that we don't have a lot of magical fixes. What we have are a lot of small, honest, sometimes kind of messy things that we can do that are slow, things that we can do that help a little bit and then wear off. And then we have to do them over and over and over again in order to help each other and to help ourselves. Um, That's, that doesn't feel like a thing that kind of answers your question because you're like, man, I feel tired. I feel exhausted. What do I do? It's like, well, you keep doing what you're doing. You keep plugging along. You keep being honest about it. You keep finding out the little things that help and the little things that don't. And then you keep going back to the drawing board. We don't have a light switch that can turn off the situation that we're in or that can just boost your energy uh, to where you're not going to feel tired or you're not going to feel exhausted or you're not going to feel like you're off the playing field. Again, we've got little helps that wear off and we have to keep going back to them over and over and over again. We have to keep being honest. We have to keep trying new things and we have to figure out what's going to help um, person to person day after day. It's going to be slow like that. It's going to be little stuff like that. And, but all of that change starts with people like you who are bold enough and courageous enough to be vulnerable and honest about how you're doing. It's an excellent, excellent place to start that out. And I, I know we all very much agree with that. Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there. And one of the things I think we might need to to look at here, as Lee's alluding to, is there's a way we interpret certain things as this always just means something is bad and wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think tiredness can be one of those things, to use a, a different analogy, if you weren't doing anything different and you woke up and your muscles were very sore, well, that would indicate a, a medical problem. You would need to deal with that. But if you had been going to the gym every day and your muscles was, were sore, that would mean something different. Absolutely right. right. Absolutely right. Um, tiredness has an amazing ability to make us feel discouraged, even when we're doing mm. a good job, even even when things are going well. I think for for most people, tiredness tends to point us in the direction of a negative interpretation of our situation. Um, to, to, to put it slightly differently, I think it's very hard to be positive and to look on the bright side when you are tired. I think it is, it is much more challenging to, to find the silver linings and, and see the good side of things when you are really, really worn out. And Lee is absolutely right that there are no magical fixes if there was one, the closest to a magical fix we could possibly get would be adjusting your expectations. That would be the closest to a magical fix. And, and let me explain how that would work in this context. Um, if you have an expectation that if you're doing good, you will know that you're doing good and you will feel like you're doing good and your feelings and your knowledge will agree and that will just reinforce how awesome everything is. If that's what you expect – then you're going to kind of constantly be disappointed because that's not actually how stuff works. If we adjust our expectations to be in line with reality, what we will see is first and foremost, change is hard work. Any kind of change for any person is hard work. I don't think there's such a thing as easy change. That's not particularly demanding. Um, Change is hard full stop. And any kind of hard work makes you tired. 
again, I think one of the, the great cultural myths that we have, it's true in Christianity, but it's true outside of it too, is the idea that you know what, if you're really doing the stuff that you should be doing, and if you're really amazing at it, it won't even feel like work. It won't even feel like mm, you're, right. you know, you're expending yourself. That is not true. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's not even close to true. That's why all musicians and actors are happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Think about it for a second. When when you watch certainly the end the end of a basketball game, you know these are guys who, by and large, do love what they do and and feel very blessed to do what they do. They're all dripping sweat because they're physically exhausted. Um, you know, hard work is tiring. Hard work is fatiguing. There's just no way around that. Um, and again, to go back to where we started, fatigue has a pretty strong tendency to lead to discouragement. Fatigue has a pretty strong tendency to lead you to feel like maybe things aren't going all that well. And so where that lands is recognizing that uh, when we are tired, which you will be if you're working hard to make changes, we really need to double down on double-checking what our feelings are telling us versus observable reality. Let me say that again. When we are tired, particularly if we are tired from working hard to make changes, we need to be much more vigilant and diligent about double-checking what our feelings are suggesting to us versus actual, measurable, observable reality. And having other people that we can rely on, that we can talk things out with, is going to help a lot. For some people, that might be a pastor. For some people, that might be a mentor. For some people, that might just be a trusted friend. Uh, But having people who can help us gauge how we're doing – how we're doing relative to how we used to be doing, you know, are we getting anywhere? That's going to help a lot because, again, the more tired we get, the less we can trust our feelings to give us accurate insights mm-hmm. about how we're really doing. Good, A really, really excellent point. And, Glenn, I th- I'd love to just close out here because I think what Jed's leading us towards there is if the nature of doing things, putting in the work, uh, living through just holding ground in a really tough time, which a lot of us are doing, is in itself a thing that takes up our energy. We have to acknowledge we have a finite amount of energy. So how does that affect strategizing? Well, yeah, I think if you take a look at um, everything that's on your plate, everything that you're trying to get done today, this week, this month, this year, whatever it is, if you look at everything that's on your plate, what I want to know is, first of all, is everything that the Lord wants done on there? Uh, is, is there room for it on there? Is, is, is that, are we, do we have a sense of what that might be and that, is that in there? But then I want to look at what other stuff is there. So God is coming to you and saying, okay, look, here's the thing. Uh, this is what I want you to do for yourself. Uh, to minister to yourself and encourage yourself. Here's what I want you to do for the people around you. Uh, here's what I want you to do for our relationship, and so forth. He's he you know he's got uh, things that an agenda for your life. Uh, he's also got energy for all of that. And if you are like me, he gives me just enough energy <laughs> for that, and not a lot left over. So a lot of time for me, when I'm exhausted, I've looked up and I've added in a few things that didn't need to get added in here. Uh, If that's the case, 
uh, I do need to start looking at at making some cuts here. Now, one of the first things I will say with with pastors is, you know, they, they want to give me a lot of, you know, uh, um, a lot of their struggles, but they're all kind of flying in different directions, and it's, often it's just not a coherent uh, situation, and every problem is presented as unsolvable, of course. And then at some point I'll say, well, okay, what's your tiredness level? And they'll say, on on a scale of 1 to 10, it's about 100. Okay, so I always tell them the same thing. You never evaluate anything when you're tired. Mm. When you're tired, you don't know what else you're feeling. Uh, you don't know what else is going on. Don't Don't try to evaluate it. You're not going to get a good evaluation when you're tired. Now the 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 next response that often happens after that is, well, I'm tired a lot of the time, and so okay, well, I think that's our first thing to take a look at. Uh, so again, that's taking things off of this schedule. It's taking things uh, and figuring out what's a higher priority, what's a lower priority, and we're doing that prayerfully. We don't we we're not going to just do that based on a human sense of obligation on, you know, sort of being driven to take all the boxes on the calendar and all that. And I'm pointing the finger at myself on that. I'm really bad with that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm like these other fellows. I, I think that uh, I've experienced a lot of tiredness lately with, with all the pandemic stuff. So, uh, you know, we're just sharing with you what we're trying to remind ourselves. Right. Uh, final point I would make is to ask yourself when you feel tired, whether it's this specific circumstances or just in general, how often are you tired because you're running towards something and how often are you tired because you're running away from something? So that thing you're running away from can be negative self-image, despair, a, you know, a body image stuff, a, a lack of accomplishment, a lack of recognition. Uh, you know, whatever it is, it could be stuff from your past, you know, things that happened to you in the past that you're trying to run away from. And you, you say to yourself, I'm just trying to accomplish things. I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to do all the stuff that I want to do and need to do and be responsible and all this kind of things. And, you know, just be AJ squared away, straight Christian. And it's great. But you're really trying to run away from this idea of being a bad Christian. That's not the same thing as running towards what it is that God has for you, towards his love and his uh, strength and his rest and his comfort. Uh, If you're running towards those things and, and running towards the things he wants you to do with all of that, you will be you'll experience a certain amount of uh, tiredness. You'll ex- you, you'll be filled up and poured out a lot. And that sort of is like being tired, but it's nowhere near the same as that just down to your bones exhaustion of you've done everything else for everyone else, but you haven't taken a look at yourself. You haven't been getting with the Lord and getting what you need. And that's what we want for you to do is to give yourself permission and take that time. All excellent, excellent stuff from these guys. I agree with every word they said. If we're going to move on to our next question. Here it came in anonymously, and it says, 
I just started following the Lord fairly recently. I don't feel confident, though. I'm afraid I don't have the faith that it takes for a walk with God. And uh, really, an awesome, another awesome question. We love the honesty in these questions. And Jed, where would we start off with this one? No, we're really glad you wrote in. It is a great question. And to to start to set the stage, why don't we talk about literal physical walking for a second? Because I, I think it may give us something to build on. So walking is great. Um, I should walk. You should walk. Uh, it's, it's a great thing. It's, it's good for you. Um, and uh, the experts, I guess, in general, say that a good target for people is 10,000 steps a day. So um, that's, that's great. It's a good target. Now, if you came to me and you said, you know, I'm thinking about this month, though, and that's going to be 300,000 steps that I'm going to have to take this month. And I just don't know if I've got what it takes to do that. I don't know if I've got the energy. I don't know if I've got the time. And I'm really concerned. I'm not sure that I can pull that off. I would hear you, but my immediate point back to you would be, yeah, but that's spread out over an entire month. Mm-hmm. We're, we're only trying to do one thirtieth of that tomorrow. I mean, yeah, it, it does add up eventually, but, but tomorrow's just 10,000. And in fact, if tomorrow's a really busy day, you don't feel good, do less, cut it in half, you know, is, you know, the, the walk police are not going to come and arrest you. So, you know, you're, you're cool, bro. And we all get that. I mean, it's, it's almost a, a silly example, but we have a way of playing that same game with ourselves when it comes to spiritual stuff. We mm. have a way of looking out and saying, I don't know if I have what it takes to be a Christian for the next month or the next year or the next decade. But the thing is, God's not asking you to do that. Mm. Jesus is asking you to walk with him today. That's it. Um, tomorrow we'll deal with tomorrow. And not to be morbid about it, but we are not promised tomorrow. Um, it should tomorrow show up and you're here, we'll deal with tomorrow then. But Jesus is asking you to walk with him today. We don't need to borrow trouble. It doesn't actually do us any good. So if we're going to focus on today, let's figure out what do we need today. I think that you need three things today. I think you need strength, I think you need grace, and I think you need wisdom. I think that those are the three things that you want to start with asking God to give you today. And I, I want to encourage you, I think God wants desperately to give you as much of those three things as you need for today. Amen. But particularly if you're, if you're new to walking with the Lord, let, let's walk through those three things very briefly and, and why you need them and what you would do with them. Strength is just that. It is the energy to take the steps that God is asking you to take. Just like Glenn was suggesting last question, God is not suggesting that you find the energy within yourself to do the stuff he's asking you to do. He actually wants to give you the fuel that you need. He wants to give you the pickup that you need in order to do that stuff. The next thing is grace. You will screw up. You will fall short. I know this because we all do. There's no exceptions. And critically, you will do it every single day. You, you will fall short every single day because literally every person does that. And so um, grace is just that. Grace is, is God saying, I got you, man, and don't, don't worry about it. And then that last part is wisdom. And, and wisdom really means seeing things from God's perspective. And one of the things that we need to see from God's perspective is how hard are we trying to push today? Is today a 10,000-step day? 
Is today maybe more of a 5,000-step day? Mm. Is today a day where we've really it's time for a big hike and we're really going at it and maybe we're going to brag on Facebook later about all the steps that we did today? Recognizing not every day is the same. Not every day is meant to be the same. And, and again, very similar to what Glenn was talking about in the last question, letting the Lord guide us on what kind of day is this meant to be? Um, and therefore, how much strength and how much grace do I need to get? But critically, you, the Lord's not asking you to be a Christian a year from now. You actually can't be a Christian from now. You can only be a Christian in the day that you're in. And he wants and is ready to give you everything that you need for the day that you're in. Absolutely right. That's a wonderful place to start this discussion off. And Glenn, love you get you to pick us up here. Um, I think uh, Jed did a really good job breaking down the, those, to those basics. So let's bring, take what he's given us and put it in the context of the word faith, which is yeah. a really nebulous term and one that gets thrown around a lot of Christian circles and maybe never really defined. Yeah, I think um, it really does because I, I think. Um, the the problem with uh, the way that faith is used, particularly in church, is when the speaker runs out of his or her ability to help you with your problem. He says, "You know what? You just got to have faith." Uh, good so, enough for George Michael. It's not good enough for you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you know that that's uh, sort of the I, I've run out of bullets and I've thrown you the gun. This is you know. Uh, I, I think there's a sense of faith means never doubting anything, which is uh, not what faith is to me. Faith is when when I have had all of the doubts and I've worked through all of them and I've tried my best to do what I need to do and um, maintain things and come to the end of my rope, and God comes through in those moments. And he's there for me, and I see his hand in things. I say... I be I am beginning to have faith that he will be there for me the next time this happens. When that happens about 50 times in a row, I start to say, you know what? I think I've actually got a little bit of faith going that the, that he's going to continue to be there for me and and forgive me and and help me and all those kinds of things. Uh so I think uh we need to adjust to that idea of faith is something that uh, as Jed said, faith comes from God. The faith that we have in God comes from God, but it, it's also a thing that grows and that we learn about it, we understand it, and we live into it. Uh, but there's another thing you're talking about here. You're saying, I'm afraid I won't have the faith that it takes for a walk with God. So when you say having faith, do you mean remaining faithful? Uh, because that's different. When when it, if I say if I talk about remaining faithful to my wife, I mean one hundred percent of all day, every day. This is the only woman that I'm going to have physical relationships with. Uh, that's different from having faith in the religious sense. Uh, if you think staying faithful to God is a one hundred percent all out, um, you know, constantly walking the walk in some sort of way to some sort of extent, and that means you have remained faithful, uh, then I need to introduce you uh, uh, in your new faith to uh, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 2. It says, we all stumble in many ways, period. 
Uh, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And he's saying even just that hole at the front of your face is not able to be in control. <laughs> You're just going to say something bajiggity at some point, and it's you're going to be stumbling and slipping and sliding, and people aren't going to like it, and you're going to need to go back to God and say, God, I, I have faith that you forgive me. I have faith that you're going to be here to teach me a better way. I have faith that you'll help me the next time the situation comes up if I can remember to draw on that and and uh, receive it. So re- would you say having faith, or I think you're talking about remaining faithful and recognize that that's a journey. That's an imperfect thing. Everyone stumbles. Everyone struggles. God knows that about you. He already has seen every mistake you'll ever make in the future. He, when he tells you he loves you today, he's taking that into account. So that's where actually the faith begins, uh, in, is, is in recognizing I can believe in a, in a God who sees it all and has already made up his mind. That's, that's something I can anchor my life to. Absolutely right. You know you've gotten a hold of a, a brave, accurate, and worthwhile Bible translation when they throw in the word bajiggity. That's yeah, sure. That's the real deal right there. And a lot of great stuff from Glenn on that. And Lee, uh, one of the things Glenn is touching on there, which I think is worth exploring more, is uh, through the eyes of someone who has not done the Christian thing for very long, a lot of the way faith gets talked about is um, basically a code word for don't screw up. Yeah. You know, have faith, have more faith, strengthen your faith, exercise your faith, da da da, da. But as, as Glenn points out, faith comes from God. So it probably doesn't mean that. So what's the, the proper understanding of that that can help us relax a little bit? I, I love I love that you set that up by saying, you know, what what can we how can we understand this so that we can relax? That's a fantastic way to to frame the question. And that's exactly where we want to drive it. I, I think a huge part of of this is just kind of reestablishing or resetting um our understanding of how we got into this relationship in the first place. Um, how did I get a relationship with God? Well, uh, God decided that he wanted to be in a relationship with me. God, in the person of his son, uh, came down to earth and lived a whole life as a person in poverty, um, a, his adult life as a homeless person in his ministry, um, and then died a horrible death <laughs> to take my place and pay my price for me. And all of that was complete outreach on his part because he decided he wanted a relationship with me. Every single thing was him reaching out to me, going to every extreme to do whatever it would possibly take to make me his own. Um, And when we remember that, when we remember that I got into this relationship because God wanted me and then God, in the person of Jesus, did everything possible to have me, um, then that allows me to relax a little bit. Because what it does is it reframes the question. I think when I read the question, I read this in, a, in, in kind of a way of like, oh no, am I going to have what it takes to maintain this relationship? Well, I didn't start this relationship. I didn't do anything to make this happen. It's not actually on me to maintain it. Um, 
Here's a couple of, to me, a couple of helpful uh, things in the scripture. Psalm 73 says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Um, the cool thing about that scripture is that this person who's praying to the Lord says, I'm not holding on to you. You're the one that's holding on to me. You've got hold of my hand. John chapter 10, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, uh, My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. He is holding on to you. You're not holding on to him. There's a place in Psalm 103 that says, He remembers that we are dust, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. All of these things are painting a picture around this concept of, I got into a relationship with God because God wanted me and did everything in the world to come after me, gave his entire self so that he could have me, and now he's holding me and no one can snatch him out of his, out of his hand. Um, we're not holding on to him. He's holding on to us. He started this relationship. He's going to see it to the end. And all of that remembrance allows us to relax. All excellent, excellent stuff on that from these guys. We're going to move on to our final question here. It came in anonymously and it says, how do I take things one day at a time? I'm trying to work on it, but I have things in my life that have to be thought out more than one day ahead. And a really, a really good question, a really good practical question, and I think an excellent follow-up to a lot of the stuff we were talking about in question two there. So Glenn, where would we start with the idea of one day at a time? Well, for sure, the you're right. There, there are things in your life where you need to have sort of a general, big picture, a sense of some goals. Uh, that's a good thing. It's a lovely thing. It's a helpful thing. Your mortgage agent, for example, doesn't want to hear. I'm just taking it one day at a time, man. And <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and and for sure, if you say, you know, I want to go to school and get a degree in something mathematical. That sounds great. You know, there's the, you've got a sense of, generally speaking, what that is. That might run the gamut from becoming an accountant to teaching high school history class or some or a math class. Uh, you, you know, you there's a, a number of uh, possibilities within that, uh, and we're holding on to those goals loosely and kind of letting them develop in certain ways as we get closer. We learn more about ourselves and our, our giftedness and what we want to do and the job opportunities and so on and so forth. The future is not only unknown, but it's got a lot of, uh, you know, serious complexity to it. Things change as we move forward. So the plans that we make for today don't always uh, have that rock solid uh, future that we're hoping that they will give us. Uh, so I think making that caveat that yes, it it is good to have a big picture sense of the general goal of where you're, you're heading. That is good. And yeah, that does help organize things that makes it clear, uh, general directions we need to be heading in. Uh, but I want to go back to what Jed was talking about on the first question about change. Because here's the problem, is if I pray about what I want to become uh, in, or what, my, what I want my life to be, my profession, if I pray about what kind of woman I want to marry, for example, and I don't give myself permission to change my mind about any of that at any point, 
and I don't give God permission to change my mind about that, um, whatever comes out of that is going to definitely be sinful and messed up. So the idea of having a rock-solid plan that I never change that gives me a definite sense of comfort about my future is the ideal way to mess up your life. That's, that's not making things more stable. Uh, if you yearn for stability, I, I got to tell you, Christianity lived out authentically may not be the perfect <laughs> thing for you. Whatever do you mean? I, I think the mm-hmm. apostles uh, probably, if, if I had been walking with Jesus at some point, I would have said, hey, uh, this is a heck of a roller coaster ride you got us on, but th- does this smooth out at some point here, Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty bumpy ride you got us on here. Um, th- you know, th- we have to recognize that uh, part of what God wants to do with us is give us small uh, opportunities. Uh, to rise up and to uh, discover things within ourselves and discover a deeper connection with him. And, and we, when we do that and we prove faithful with that, well, he wants to open up something bigger and better off of that because we've learned stuff and we've grown and he wants to bless us with a bigger thing now that he knows that we can handle that. But if I don't, if I'm not comfortable with change, I'm passing all these tests and not taking the blessings that go with it, which is mm. kind of, I, 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 I think we, we, what we're trying to do is have a lot of stability and certainty and being squared away and um, sort of our entire walk and most of our happiness is what goes uh, on the other side of that equation. And that's, that's just not a good exchange. That's not what we want for you. So, let me leave you with this, and I'll, I'll hand it off to these other fellows who will unpack this some more. But one thing we want to make sure you understand is God's direction for you today takes the future into account. It's not like you could go wrong by saying, okay, what do you want me to do today? He says, you know, enroll in this college today. You say, what, when they ask me what my major is, what should I say and he says, tell them it's mathematics and whatever. You, it's, it's taking into account that God will use these things in certain ways. Uh, to give you an example, earlier in this week, uh, I kept coming to the Lord and saying, um, you know, what do you want me? Like everybody else, I think I need to be doing twice as much as whatever I'm doing because uh, a pandemic is a perfect time to be hyperproductive. Uh, It makes sense in my head, but when I say it out loud right now, it sounds kind of insane. Uh, But I, you know, I I say, well, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And Lord, earlier this week was like, "Uh, you don't need to be doing anymore to get some rest. I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm fine. I'm good. Let's let's rock and roll. Lord's like, no, I think you you need to rest. You need to recharge the batteries. Well, later in the week, I end up getting slammed, and I am wall to wall, and I'm feeling the exhaustion coming on. And I realized, okay, he was giving me instructions in the past to allow me to deal with a future circumstance I couldn't possibly foresee. Mm. So he's taking everything into account when he gives us direction for today. Uh, So I think um, the idea that focusing on today will somehow, uh, and focusing on today in God's wisdom, will somehow leave you unprepared for the future 
doesn't entirely hold a lot of water. Uh, it's good to have a, a big picture sense from the Lord of general directions we need to hand, head in and let him change that course here and there. Uh, but it's also good to recognize uh, he's not going to lead you astray if you go to him every day and say, what do you want from me here? I think it's a really, really good point, a great place to start. Lee, I'd love you to to take it from there, because I think exactly as Glenn is pointing out, we say this on the show about a lot of stuff, um, one day at a time in general is a very, very good philosophy. It's a very good idea. It is not something that is meant to be taken to the extreme. Uh, you, right. You're not supposed to do all of that. Um, and it it it's one of those things where it jives with some stuff that's in the Bible, but you you miss, I think you miss a lot if you just go with the boiled down version and don't actually look at what's in the scripture because uh, the scripture would most often get referenced. This is, you know, on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about don't worry, but he's yeah. being very specific, not don't ever think about tomorrow, but do not worry about tomorrow. And that's a little different thing, right? Yeah. I think the, the key thing to understand is, and this is, this kind of, it has the potential to feel kind of like semantic, like, ah, you're just saying words that don't really have a lot of meaning in the end. But, but actually I think it's really, really important to figure the difference out, which is what are the parts of tomorrow that belong in today? So if I have something that needs to get done next week, but it requires some planning that I need to do today, then that's today's business. It feels like it's thinking, it's giving a thought for tomorrow, you know, against the words of Jesus or whatever. But actually, talking about it today and getting a plan for today, uh, getting a plan for tomorrow today, that's today's business. That's actually, that, that's actually what I need to be doing today. And what we have to do is to be able to parse out what in the tomorrow things do I actually belong in today because they're today's business. And what are the things that would just be worrying or, ang- or you know, anxiety or just being anxious about tomorrow? And I think a helpful question on parsing out the difference between that is, um, is what would be kind of the Lord's goals versus what would be kind of uh, the enemy's goals uh, for, for where your mind would be? And yeah. I, would, I would parse this out in this way. I think that the question that Jesus always wants you to ask him is, what do you want me to do? That's the question the Lord would want you to ask him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, that very much, very much goes along with exactly what Glenn is talking about. Because what Glenn was talking about was the Lord is giving him a direction to take some rest in the early part of the week because he knows in his omniscience that the latter part of the week is going to be slammed. Something Glenn cannot know because Glenn is not omniscient. Um, but yet, <laughs> but he's working on it. I'm working so, on it. So, what the Lord would want us—the attitude the Lord would want us to have—is, "What do you want me to do?" The question the enemy always wants you to ask is, "What will happen to me?" Yeah, that's a very different thing. Um, and, and that's where we get into the the kind of the cloudy part of what things in tomorrow are things that are part of today's business and what things in tomorrow are just anxiety and worry. That, I think, is a very clear—that, for me, anyway, is a very helpful way to parse out the difference. Some things about planning tomorrow are actually today's business, and I figure that out by asking the question, what do I need to do? 
when I start getting into the into the realm of thinking about what might happen to me, so I'm going to measure this because I think these people might not approve of it, or this person might think I'm being irresponsible, or whatever, especially when it comes to how other people are going to perceive me, or or am I going to be in trouble, or something like that, then now I have, I have kind of crossed that line over into just worrying about tomorrow. So that, to me, has been a real practical way to, to kind of parse out the difference. For what are the things I'm supposed to actually plan and, and think about and work on versus the things that, that don't actually get me, um, the things that actually just kind of lead to more and more anxiety. What do I, what do I need to do versus what will happen to me? That's a really, really cool thought and a very interesting way to put that. I like that a whole, whole lot. And Jed, love to get you to close us out here. What, what have, what gaps have we left so far in the idea of one day at a time? Well, I think you've heard a lot of good stuff. I'd offer just a couple of, of complimentary things to go along with it. The first is the goal of really, I think, all of Jesus' teachings, but, but definitely the ones about worry, the goal is peace. Mm. That is the thing that, that Jesus wants you to have. That's the thing that we want you to have. And if you want a shortcut to peace, the shortcut to peace is humility. Whenever you want to get to peace as quickly as possible, you travel there through humility. That's well, that. that's how you get there. And um, there is another passage, and it's from the book of James. I'm going to read it to you. that goes right along with the things Jesus said about not worrying about tomorrow. It doesn't get talked about in churches hardly ever uh, because it is very counter to the view that being a Christian means to be in favor of prudent financial planning. Um <laughs> And uh, you do with your finances whatever you want, but that that's actually not a particularly historically Christian idea. Um, so <laughs> this drawer contains my envelopes of holiness, I like to call them. Yeah, exactly. So this is the book of James chapter 4. Um, I'm reading the NIV. It says, uh, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Mm. Now, there are a couple, there's a lot going on in that passage, but the, the key through line, at least to me as I read it, is humility is recognizing a few things. A, I am not promised tomorrow, okay. like at all. Thing number two, tomorrow does not belong to me. I do not have the ability to just uh, will my way into tomorrow being what I want it to be. I actually don't have the power to do that. Third, the person to whom tomorrow belongs is God. Very specifically God and very specifically not me. And Amen. I've heard it said, and, and I want to be clear, I'm, I'm about to give you a definition of anxiety, and I am not referring to the clinical diagnosis of anxiety. Um, if, you, if, if that's something that you, you are concerned about, you should seek a healthcare professional to talk to them about. But colloquially, talking about the concept of anxiety has been defined as anxiety is the feeling that you have when you're trying to control things over which you do not have control. Mm. And... Right. We do not have control over the future. We just don't. Yeah, we have the ability to 
provides some modest influence on it, but that's not the same as control at all. Those are two very, very different things. And again, God wants you to have peace. That concept comes up a lot. And um, trying to control things that you do not have control over and peace are pretty much antithetical to each other. Um, again, the, the shortcut to peace is humility, and a humble person recognizes the things that they don't have control over, the things that don't belong to them. But what you have been given is today. You have been given that. And I think that if we're going to take it one day at a time, which is generally very good advice and and very Christian advice and very biblical advice, my question to you is not just do you know how to survive today? Do you know how to get through today? Do you know how to live well today? Do you know what it would look like in some way to live that life and life to the full today? Because this is the day that you're in. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day that you've been given. And I don't mean, do you know how to do the most for the kingdom today? That's not what I mean. Do you know how to live a full life today? Mm. Do you know how to live a good life today? Do you know how to live a life where um, as, you're, as your head you know, hits the pillow and you start to, to nod off, you feel good about and proud about the day that you had and, and, and what you did with it? That doesn't have to be a lot of big stuff, but what I can tell you is that this phrase, you know, living one day at a time is very common for folks in recovery, and, and I am very blessed to have many friends who, um, who are in recovery, and, and some have been for a short time, some have been for a long time, but learning how to really take a hold of the day that you are in and uh, really get the goodness in it in big ways and little ways, how to, how to love the people that you're around, how to take time to connect with the Lord, how to enjoy the blessings that you've been given. Some of those are physical, some of them are spiritual, but to enjoy the good stuff that you've been given. Um, man, that's an art, uh, and it's a craft, and it's one yeah. where the more you do nice. it, the, the better that you will get at it. But I also mention it because— it goes in the exact opposite direction from worrying about tomorrow. Worrying about tomorrow and truly, deeply enjoying today, you can't do both at the same time. You, they are completely incompatible. And if tonight, when you lie down and your head hits the pillow, if you focus the day on living fully into the day you're in, you're going to be glad you did that. If you focus the day on trying to control things in the future that you can't control, I don't think you're going to like that outcome. And tonight when you lay down, we want you to feel good about the day that you had. And I think that's the way that you get there. Amen. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff. I really like Jed bringing up the, the addiction piece of this in the end, because again, that plays into the way we understand the idea of one day at a time. The people who are doing that in a way that is kind of super hardcore, they're referring to one thing. Yep. Um, it, it's one day at a time as far as getting from the beginning of the day to the end of the day without taking their drug of choice. Um, and that is, as these guys talk about a lot of things, you can only do that one day at a time, but you are making decisions. You are having thoughts for things that are down the road. And that's totally fine because the action is about one day at a time to go back to, I think Glenn starts off with a very, very good analogy of you deciding what you want to study in something um, there will come a time where you have to do a thing that pertains to the future. You have to meet with an advisor. You have to sign up for a class that won't, you won't take for a year, but today is the day 
to sign up for it. You are certainly doing something that affects your future, but you are living in today because you can do something today. You're not going and looking up the syllabus for the guy who teaches this right now and trying to get a study because as we're talking about, he may not be the guy teaching that in two years. He may be a totally different thing. Their curriculum may have changed, but the thing before you today is meet with this advisor, sign up for this class. You can do that and you can check it off. There's, I think there's a, an underrated joy and kind of centering thing in life is checking something off your to-do list. And part of what living things one day at a time and living in the day you're in is it allows you to break up long overarching things into a very bite-sized set of things where you can get the joy of checking them off. You know, you can't, our friends in addiction recovery, you know, they make a chip. They say you can't live 10 years sober at a clip, but you can check off. I made it from the beginning of the day to the end of the day today. That's the win. I don't have to worry about that. I didn't win 10 years today. That's the win. That's the celebration. Then we move on to the next thing. And we can tell you from first experience, it is a much, much more peaceful way to do things. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. If you want to keep that totally anonymous to even your own self, uh, you know, it occurs to me, and we often give away these million dollar ideas, but if you're uh, starting a Christian metal band, you are a mist. It's a pretty strong either band or album name. Right? That's pretty <laughs> darn metal. So I think in honor of that, we should take you out with some metal. A song from our sister program, The Bridge Loud. This is The Bridge Loud take on the hymn, Just As I Am, a very cool Woot. track. Take out that. Thanks Woot. for listening. Just remember, we love you. Yes. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast boldly suggesting a new idea. Let's protest the virus by wearing a mask and acting like you're grown. (laughs) (laughs) Just as I am without one plea But that thy blood was shed for me That thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, though tossed about. Fightings and fears within, without, O oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am now.
loves me.